Good morning. Welcome to Earthmakers, spiritual care for real humans. My name is Joey. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm a recovering addict and the grateful creator and host of this podcast. Take a deep breath. Settle in. This space is for you. While I'm recording this, my cat rabbi is showing me his belly. It's nice to connect with our friends, um, even our furry friends, isn't it? Um, I've always found it so odd when people think it's weird that I would call my cat my friend or my dog my friend or my goldfish my friend. As the Buddha teaches, you know, once we realize the interconnectedness of all beings, we don't find that as odd, really. So, yesterday we talked about right intention or helpful intention, right? The day before that we talked about uh, right view or accurate or helpful perception. These are the first two steps on the Noble Eightfold Path. Accurate perception is how I'm experiencing the truth about certain things, why things the way they are, why I do them, right? Right intention is why am I doing this thing? Right? It's, it's all of these steps require mindfulness, pausing and saying, this thing that I'm about to do, or that I'm in the midst of doing, why am I doing it? And is the reason something that is born of mindfulness and health and wellness and connectedness and wholeness and truth Or is it something that's born of uh, suffering? And is it something that will uh, increase suffering? These are important questions to ask, right? As a recovering addict, when I think about right intention, I'm reminded that... uh, This is a really helpful tool for me in my recovery. Those of us who are in recovery know how easy it is to get wrapped up in addictive behaviors. It doesn't need to be... Pardon me, I'm so sorry. Allergies today are wild. Um, It doesn't need to be, um, you know, something as heinous as a relapse, you know, Uh, relapsing on drugs or alcohol or uh, sex or gambling. Uh, But it could just be staying up too late, binge watching something or uh, doom scrolling on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Um, Or mindlessly eating an entire bag of popcorn, you know, like 
before bed every night. Uh, behaviors that were like, well, I'm not doing the things that I used to do, so this might be fine. But right intention forces me to slow down and ask myself why I'm doing and saying the things that I'm doing and saying. Right? <clears throat> Today, we are on the third step in the Noble Eightfold Path, and it is right speech or accurate, truthful, or helpful speech. Okay? Sid, uh, the Buddha, refers to right speech as abstinence from false speech, abstinence from malicious speech, Abstinence from harsh speech and abstinence from idle chatter. Not lying, not using speech in ways that create discord, not using swear words or a cynical, hostile, or raised tone of voice, not engaging in gossip. <clears throat> words are just symbols, right? They're, um, they're fairly uh, powerless and dead. We give power to words, right? Um, but we've been giving power to words. We have a, a human history of giving power to words, right? Language and communication are crucial pieces of how we exist on this plane, right? And so uh, words have power. Yes, it's because we've given them that power, but it's important to keep in mind that the things that we say and do can create great harm. Whether intended or not. The things that we say and do can also create great help. Right? So knowing how much power that we have in our words, that first step of knowing that there's power in words... And in, and in tone and how we say certain words, how we communicate, knowing those things is the first step in engaging in right speech. It's slowing down enough to realize that even though that free speech in, uh, in our American culture might be something that everyone is afforded, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should say everything that comes to our mind. Right. So <clears throat> I have some mental illness in my self and in my family and my and uh, my sibling my siblings and I a, a few of us at least two of my siblings and I suffer from uh a lack of a filter when we are in a not great place with our mental health. When our mental illness is kind of spiking our tendency is to dramatically express through words, through speech, how we're feeling and what our opinions are, even if it harms people, right? So uh, I have to be careful um, as a recovering person, as a spiritual leader, um, when I utilize Twitter, um, that I don't 
just go on a huge rant and say whatever it is that I'm feeling or thinking in the moment. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I have a bit of a mouth on me, (laughs) Um, a bit of a sailor's mouth. I don't think that swearing is um, innately bad or innately harmful, right? Obviously, I think swearing can be very helpful. It's been very helpful to me in certain um, experiences. Swearing um, gets way too much airtime in certain communities as being problematic. For example, there was a time back in, I think, 2017 when the current president of the United States said, God damn, on television. And his evangelical Christian supporters, many of them, called him out and said, this is not helpful or moral, Mr. President, and we have an issue with this. What I found really interesting in that story, compelling, is that the current president had been accused of sexual assault and abuse. He had been accused of um, uh, genocide and xenophobia and uh, lots of other really harmful, harmful, cruel behaviors that harmed the human family, that hurt and did violence to the human family. But it wasn't until he said this that his evangelical Christian supporters spoke up and said, I don't support this language and I wish the president would apologize for saying this. Now, we could go into the politics and sort of the illogical and unreasonable and irrational nature of this whole discussion, or we could just uh, mindfully pay attention to something, and that is that why did it happen this way? Well, I think it happened this way because words have power, and presidents, when they speak, when they share impassioned opinions, like Um, at the Democratic National Convention last night even. Um, People's words carry weight, right? So in the evangelical Christian community, which I grew up in, by the way, there is a lot of power given to conventional, what we would conventionally refer to as swear words or curse words or cuss words, right? The F word. You know, I've said fuck a number of times on this podcast, but if I were to say it in front of my grandmother, it would wound her, right? So I have to be mindfully aware of when and where I can say things like that. Okay? So, what about gossip? (laughs) This, I think, might be the one. This might be the one that is, in my experience, the most harmful. Gossip and rumors, right? A rumor is a story. So let's start there. Human beings are storytellers by nature. It's how we survive. Um, It's, I think, the number one way that we survive is through how we tell, communicate, and pass on stories, whether written or... um, or orally, um, 
a rumor, stories were meant to connect and to build bridges and to further the human agenda. Rumors are in a way uh, stories that do violence to to story, human storytelling. And in that way, a rumor is almost an anti-story in a sense, which we could spend a whole episode just unpacking that. But a rumor is an opinion that somebody carries based on their experience of either something they've heard or seen. Right? It's all wrapped up in opinion. So somebody takes this opinion. So let's say what 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 what, what might I've been the victim of of rumors and gossip before um, and it destroyed uh, it really harmed me and my spouse in our first year of marriage. A lot of people who are recovering addicts have been victims of rumors and gossip, right? Rumor is powerful. So let's um let, let let's uh let's take this as an example today. Let's let's break this one down. Because I think it's really important for us to pay attention to the insidious nature of a rumor and its ability to create a wildfire of gossip, an uncontrollable wildfire of gossip. So when I was nine years old, my parents uh, split up. My mom left my dad uh, for another man. And uh, for one year of my life, my siblings and I lived with my mom and the man that she was seeing at the time. And my dad lived alone in New York State. And about a couple weekends a month or maybe one weekend a month, we would stay with my dad and then we would stay the rest of the time with my mom. And this was a really hard year. Um, I'm still doing therapy and unpacking through trauma therapy and EMDR, all this stuff that happened that year. But um, what the, the main point that I always want to drive home in this story is that my parents found a way to reconcile. My parents found a way to heal the brokenness in their relationship and to come back together and to make it work. That is not the story for most people, right? So it's pretty miraculous in that way. At least that's how I experienced it and how my siblings experienced it. I remember the first family reunion we went to after my mom and dad got back together. Um, it was my, we were also, we were not only celebrating a family reunion on my dad's side, we were also celebrating my great grandmother's birthday. And my mom went up and hugged my great grandmother. And as she was walking away, my great grandmother turned to my grandmother, my dad's mom, and, and said, what the hell is she doing here? She's not part of this family anymore. And as a kid, I listened to adults talking. They didn't think I was listening. I was nine or 10 years old, but they were spreading this rumor now that my great grandmother was unhappy with my mom. Now, 
that's true, right? That was based in a truth, but then the truth began to grow and it became something other than the truth. Now it was not just that my grandmother, great-grandmother was upset with my mom, but that my mom had said something unkind to my great-grandmother. And the adults at this reunion were spreading this vicious rumor, right? Soon the rumor became gossip, right? Gossip that didn't stay at the reunion. Gossip that wound up finding its way into the public school system where I went, where my mom was a teacher. So now teachers and staff are talking about this mother of mine, how she abandoned her family and thought she could just come back with no apologies, right? Really harmful stuff that was almost entirely inaccurate, right? And it really hurt my mom's chance at reconciliation. That's the thing about rumors and gossip. Rumors and gossip hurt our opportunity to heal and to reconcile. They take away any opportunity for grace, for reparation, for change and transformation. I believe that the thing that is dividing communities and hurting human beings the most is this form of speech that we call gossip, which is rooted in a story called a rumor. It is some of the most insidious violence that we wage on each other as human beings. Um, through speech. But we dress it up as compassionate concern. And let me tell you something right now, just so that we can put this to rest. Rumors and gossip are never at any point acceptable. And they are always rooted in violence. Always. I'm not, I don't say a lot of black and white things on this podcast, but that is 100% black and white. There is no middle ground here. Rumors and gossip are always rooted in violence. A violence that is waged with words. And it is a violence that closes doors and pushes people out. I've watched it destroy entire communities. I've watched it harm people. I've watched it harm me and my spouse. All kinds of bizarre shit that people say about each other, right? So what the Buddha is inviting us to do is to lay that down before we say it. Because why is it that people would run to my office when I was a, a chaplain in a nursing home? I had staff running to my office and saying, oh, chaplain, I've got to tell you this story. And I used to just sit and listen. But most of it was just gossip or rumors about other staff people. And I would say to them, well, you know, this feels like a rumor to me. I'm wondering if we could put this to rest. And the response would be something along the lines of, well, I need to vent to somebody and you're the chaplain. Aren't you supposed to be here for me? We dress it up as venting, right? It's not. It's violence. And the reason that we keep doing it is because all humans are addicts, all of us, because we attach ourselves to things. And it feels really good to get a reaction from other people. 
that creates drama. Drama stimulates us. That's why we love Breaking Bad, and it's why we love Stranger Things, and it's why we love Watchmen, and Lost, uh, and Star Wars. We love drama because it gives us this chemical rush that's addicting. This is why people binge watch television. It's the same reason. It was addicting, and so people would rush to my office in their addiction to get that hit of that thing that they thought they needed and they thought I needed. And I could catch myself getting caught up in the addiction of the rumors and the gossip. So eventually I had to put up a really harsh barrier that people thought was unkind, but it was necessary. Please don't come to me and share this with me. Or I would tell them, can you pause for a moment and ask yourself why you feel the need to share this before you share it? Is it something you need to say? This is true mindfulness. Is it something I need to say? If the answer is no, then don't say it. And not only don't say it, but replace it with something else. If we review, if we view right speech or accurate or helpful or truthful speech, as a mindfulness practice, then there's a practice engaged. It's not just not doing something or refraining from something. There's something else going on. And right speech is really crucial, especially in the spiritual life and for Zen Buddhists in particular, because right speech is one of the five precepts of Buddhism, as well as one of the Noble Eightfold Path. But there is something that we can replace, right? That we can replace uh, inaccurate or unhelpful or wrong speech with. We can replace gossip and rumors by slowing down and engaging in something, a practice called right listening. Take a deep breath with me. Hold for four, three, two, one, out. Take a few more deep breaths. Just settle into your chair. Notice that speech is unnecessary. We can just be with our bodies now. And listen to this selection. Webster's Dictionary defines listen as to pay attention to sound and to hear with thoughtful attention. Yet effective listening means paying attention to more than just sound and therefore requires that we use more than just our ears. Listening means attending to our physical sensations, thoughts and emotions, as well as to the voice, facial expressions, gestures, pauses, underlying meanings, and rich nuances that accompany the spoken words of others. Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh calls this deep listening. Physician Rachel Naomi Remen calls it generous listening. Buddhist teacher and hospice trainer Joan Halifax calls it listening from the heart, and the Quakers call it devout 
listening. Like any other mindfulness practice, right listening is both a skill and a way of being. In her book, The Zen of Listening, Rebecca Sharif writes, listening is one of our greatest personal, natural resources. Yet it is by far one of our most underdeveloped abilities. Thank you. Before you think about diving in and engaging in right speech today or accurate or helpful or truthful speech today, I want to invite you to consider right listening, helpful listening, not just listening to the stories and words of others, which means that you have to quiet your speech and thoughtfully consider what you're going to say before you say it, but it also means listening to your body listening to the world around you. Birds, water, wind. In order to engage in right speech, we have to notice that there is space for silence. Okay. So in other words, think before you speak, please. You have the tools you need. If you don't have to say something, don't say it. And if you have an opportunity to listen before talking, then please listen first. You'll only build bridges in that case. And we need more bridges built in this world, don't we? Yeah. Thank you so much. I love you a great deal. You are fabulous. Take good care of you today. I'll see you tomorrow.